0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Final Tackle Podcast. And we have probably one of the most underappreciated or in the top five underappreciated Newcastle Knights of all time. He single-handedly won the 2001 Grand Final for them by halftime, scoring two tries. He was a damaging hooker. And also a really good luck. His name is Billy Payton. Thank you very much for joining us today. This episode is brought to you by our proud sponsor, Gold Coast Trading Cards. They are an authorized TLA trading card dealer and they are the NRL collector's choice. From box breaks to individual cards they sell thousands of them from the 1960s up until recent 2020s and into the future 2021s coming out next year be sure to get all of your nrl trading card needs at gold coast trading card Pleasure, CJ. You doing, mate? yeah i'm good thanks i'm good so what's your day been like today and what have you been up to
1: a uh, day's been really cruisy. Day off, so I uh, went and checked the surf this morning. It's a bit big and messy in Newcastle, so uh, mm-hmm. that was off off the chart, So just a bit of uh, bit of shopping and uh, yeah, back in to to have a chat to you.
0: Yeah, fair. Um, are you going to the beach rugby event that's coming up? Uh, Australia Day week- weekend ish. I, I want to yeah. say weekend, but it's literally a few days after the weekend. But are you going to the beach rugby fives in at Nobby's Beach?
1: I would love to, but I'm actually rostered on, so I'm going to work Australia Day. So um, yeah, Well, I, I mean, it's it on. Miss, but...
0: It's also on the 23rd, 24th, and 25th, that, those whole few days.
1: Oh, yeah, right. Well, I'll definitely I'll get over there. I'd, lo- you know, I'd love to support the blokes. And mm. uh, Lottie Tadeer is a great man, and, and Danny Budiris is involved. So, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be and big a great, and great big O'C.
0: Yep, yep, And Big OC with his Chase the Energy.
1: Yeah, big O on his back and fit as ever. So, he's, uh, it's great he's, to see he's, he's looking really turned his life around. So, mm. yeah, he's going well.
0: Well, um, to anyone who's listening, the final tackle will also be there, um, interviewing you know former players and and you know the staff and all that. So if you do see my ugly mug around at the event, if, if anyone's there, don't don't hesitate to say hi and whatnot. Anyway, back into the topics. Really, you made your debut for the Knights in 1994, from what I can remember. What was it like, first of all, getting your first grade debut? And um, the you could say the system to get through was a bit different to how it is these days. You know, it's very, very structured these days. You know, you've got to go, you know, you, you go through basically, um, you know, your juniors then you've got to go SG ball, then under 20s, then Canterbury Cup. And then, you know, whereas you could be picked like one day for reserves and then play first grade that same day, possibly. What was it like for you and how long did it take you and everything in between?
1: Yeah, well, I took a different path to most people. Um, obviously... Most people, even back then, went through the process of the junior reps and and being involved in the club for a long period of time before they progressed through to grade and then first grade level. Whereas mm-hmm. um, I was still knocking around playing for my local club, Cessnock, uh, up until the age of 23. Oh, when wow. I was twenty three. And turned 20 At the end of that season, I was offered a, a trial to con- uh, to, uh, to trial for a contract at the Knights and, and just an off season really to train. So yeah, um, obviously went down there and and I think under the advice from Matty Johns and a bloke called Steve Fulmer who used to uh, play for the club and, and came back and coached me at Cessnock. So for those two guys, they sort of put their necks on the line and said, maybe it's worth giving this guy a go, even though I was a little bit older than what, what would be expected of, uh, of that sort of um, opportunity. So, mm. Because um, at the
0: time, kids were 16, 17, 18 getting their debut and you were 23 sort of thing.
1: Yeah, twenty three to to get to the club, and then by the time I played first grade, I was twenty four. So mm-hmm. it was uh, like I say, it was a different a different pathway. You know, you still every now and then see it now, but not not as uh, common as it was.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a, a few older heads per se. You could say that definitely get their debut around that similar age. Like Andrew Davy made his debut twenty eight last year. Um, yeah, yeah. Valu got his debut, I think, at 24 or 25 for the Roosters. I may be wrong, but, yeah, you do very rarely see it, but you know that they've earned it, you know.
1: Yeah, and that's, generally for the older guys, it's a tough road, you know. You've, you've got to learn. You've, you go through the process of life. You're, you're working. You're, you're training while you're at work, you know, whereas you see some of the younger blokes are given opportunities and contracts earlier, they're full-time. When you're trying to compete with them, and it's a hard, it's a hard space to compete in. But um, you know, every now and then, um, the sun shines on a dog's backside, so they say, and, and you get an opportunity. And it's about taking those opportunities when they come, you know. And you never really know when or if they are going to come, but but it's all about being ready when that opportunity comes. And, and fortunately for me, now uh, the cards fell in my favour, and I was offered a, a contract, albeit a very um, inexpensive one. Um, <laughs> But uh, it was enough, you know, and and I was happy with it at the time. And just to get the opportunity to pull Mm. that jumper on and play with that class of players was a real honour for me and, and something that I'll look back incredibly fondly on for the rest of my life.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and speaking, imagine like if you knew what was to come in the coming years, three years later, you were in a grand final with the Knights and you guys won. Obviously, the first grand final for the Newcastle Knights for the one-town team, the mining team, you could say. You know, the mining town, mining team, all that. First of all, what was it like uh, winning in 97 and just the whole atmosphere in general, not just that one week of grand final week, but the whole season leading up to the grand final?
1: Yeah, it was a big one because it was sort of my first starting year. I'd, I'd spent a couple of years as an interchange player. So, 97, I sort of got my break in the second row and playing mainly second row, so... It was um, it was a bit of a breakout year for me, and and we just seemed to start to click as a team. We, we had some incredible individuals there. Mm. You know, you, you had A you know, Davis at the back. You had Harrigan Butterfield at the front. You know, we we had some uh, Adam you, had you, in the you know, you, yeah. you had, you had uh, Owen Craigie.
0: You had Andrew and Joey. Just, you had a whole star-studded yeah. team. Like when you think about it back on it, it's like how is that not a grand final team? You know. <laughs> so continue
1: yeah yeah it was just uh it was just a real sort of and we were pretty well obviously very thick you know and so, most of us still are today today so it was um it was just a perfect storm i think it was the team was per- a good fit for the town at the time and the town was a good fit for the team and and everyone was just pulling in the same direction and we had a, a great coach from um the uk malcolm really who pulled everyone together and pulled the strings and and you know, obviously, under the leadership of Big Paul Harrigan, it's um, oh yeah, he's a he's, a, he's called chief for like a reason. <laughs> yeah, people like him don't come around every day. You know, it's just <laughs> um, it, it was just a, uh, it, it was just a real honour to be involved with, and and the buzz within the town. You know, we, even when we just made the semis for start, there was a real buzz around the place, and and every week we got further into the. The, the deeper into the finals, you could feel the, the positive energy within the region growing, and and you know people sort of say, oh, that can be sort of a load to carry, but but for us, it was a it was a real positive energy and driving force, I suppose. Mm. And, it was and, like a and, let's win know, it
0: for the team and the town and everything like that.
1: Yeah, you know, like we'd we'd had some set the town itself had had some setbacks. You know, the BHP closed that year. A lot of people had lost their jobs and become unemployed. So. Um, the only bit of positive sort of news they would get would be their footy team on the weekend and if we could win it, there was a positive attitude in the town and and when it got to that sort of point where i think we were driving down to their um, grand final breakfast on the tuesday afternoon i think it wasn't yep. the breakfast was on, on the on the wednesday morning uh big chief got up and now you know you made his now famous speech of you know it's more than the game and you know, there wasn't a dry eye in the bus. Everyone, you know, if we could have played that Tuesday night, we would have. You know.
0: Yeah. No. Wow. Um. And speaking of Big Chief Harrigan, um, was there any special speech that he gave at halftime in
1: the ninety-seven Grand Final? Um, it probably was, but um, <laughs> when I think back in it, it was a bit of a blur. You know, like the the first half was, um, we were under the pump the whole time, but the main thing I remember is just how physical it was, you know, like... That game it And Bart and Adam Muir and Wayne Richards and, and Mark, Mark Glenville, and myself, we're, we're all up for the physical fight of our lives, you know. And, You're and all getting hammered, we you know,
0: by at. by Beaver. You were getting hammered by Mark Carroll, like who was literal Chiefs opposite. You know, they absolutely hated each other and they were going up against each other in a grand final.
1: Yeah, and it was something to see. And some of the collisions they had make the ground shake, which was which is exciting when you weren't involved, but when you're involved in it, it was a little bit painful, but mm. <laughs> it was good fun. And, um, and it was a bit of an old school grand final. And maybe, I don't know whether there's been that many since. Where it was I was going to say, I a, think it was the
0: last of the old schools.
1: Uh, yeah, where it was that, that real sort of loosening up period and, you know, that, or oh, uh, maybe 03. I
0: right I'd, I'd say 03 the roosters um penrith. Other than that. One, yeah. Yeah, other than that I can't really say that, yeah. And speaking yeah, of chief, so... did he really mention mate uh, there's there's a I don't know if it's true or not, but people always say that, you know, whether it was pre-game or just in general on grand final day, he said to everyone look don't worry about it. They can't suspend us or send us off in a grand final. Sort of thing.
1: I, I'm not going to confirm or deny any <laughs> any of those uh, rumors. Um, I, I think I think it's that unwritten law that everyone knows that there's probably a little bit more leeway in a grand final and oh for and, sure um, for sure more more so in those days before you know we we all knew about the the sort of dangers of concussion and all oh. that sort of stuff you know there yeah. was a little bit more you know obviously we didn't know as much and weren't as educated on the the do's and don'ts you know.
0: No, nah, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. Well, I mean, even if he did, that's still a testament to Chief and, you know, the kind of person he is in a good way. Um, now, touching on the other grand final, which you basically single-handedly won for the club. Again, it's a team effort, but you did have two, two scoring tries in the first half. The 2001 against Parramatta, first of all, congratulations. And second of all, how did it differ to the 97 grand final for you personally?
1: Uh, personally, I... I think as a team we'd matured a lot more. Uh, so for me, I was a, quite a senior member of the team. I think I was—I would have obviously been 31. So um, it was one of those ones where, like I say, I, I was fairly confident with my place in the team. Whereas in '97, I was still finding my way. Mm-hmm. So, so that—that that was the biggest thing. I- Thought or felt in the, in the build-up to it was a lot more confidence, and and I, w- I wasn't as um, starstruck. Um, mm-hmm. And and we had very similar, like an experienced team with the sprinkling of great youth, you know. So that really that really helped us along the way. Um, and personally, like I suppose if I was to pick one, I've, I've heard Joey say once before, it's like picking a favourite child, you know, mm-hmm. and like to to pick a grand final over another one. It's but but personally, I you know ninety-seven probably sits. Better with me, but you know, 2001 to have scored two tries. Um, it was a unified competition whereas ninety-seven there was people saying that. Super League you know, counts, you know, ARL a- counts, like, you know, counts.
0: You know, Is that, the other.
1: Yeah, you know, and you know, I'm sure that the Super League boys would have been saying the same about their grand final, and you know, I don't it would never detract from what those guys achieved from their grand finals. But um but you know, one at least everyone was there and there there could be no correspondence in it into we uh we beat the best team on the night and, that, and they were a great team. We give I've got to give credit to Parramatta for what they achieved that year. But um in saying that, we, we obviously felt that we had their measure. We we'd they give us a touch up midway through the year, but we'd sort of um beaten them quite convincingly at home earlier in the year. So it wasn't as though we were overawed by the situation or thought that we weren't able to do it, you know. So it was um there was more of a confidence in the air, whereas 97 just was a wave of emotion,
0: I think. Mm. No, that's fair. That's honestly... That, that makes a lot of sense. And it's really interesting to hear, as you said, Joey, like, once said, it's like trying to pick a favourite kid. It's like, I love them both for different reasons. I'm guessing is what you're saying about the Grand Finals, which is totally understandable. As you said, totally different vibe surrounding each Grand Final. You know, you said 97, the minds are just shut down. They, you know, it was a really, you know, our first Grand Final. And then 01, it was you were going up against the best club of the whole year and everything in between from that, which is really understandable. Um, You then went over to London to play for the London Broncos, um, who then became the Harlequins and then et cetera, et cetera. Um, What was it like going over to London and, in general, the differences and playing in the Super
1: League? Um, Well, to to summarise it straight up, it was probably one of the most enjoyable years. After having such a long time at Newcastle and I suppose being a bit of part of the furniture, like you become complacent about, you know, what what it is to be in the team and all that sort of stuff. So, and to be the new guy to go, out, particularly to another country, um, mm. that was and into another competition, it was it was a real um, it was really refreshing. And you know, we had some tremendous blokes in that team. You know, like uh, the likes of Jim Dimick, uh, Dennis Moran, Russell Bowden. Um, just to mention a few, I was Stuart and you know, then some a couple of young English lads called Rob Purdom and Paul Sykes, you know, the, and, a, and a couple of older English guys, you know, like Francis Stevenson that had played for England. So it yep. was um, it was a real good bunch of blokes, and, and being in London, everyone was from outside in, so everyone had to make the effort to be a part of a team, which was yeah. I found really, I found a really good experience, really positive experience. Um, so, but even the the going to London was a bit of a mishmash to start with. You know, originally I'd signed for a club called Salford for two years. Salford City, yep. Yeah. And they, they um, unfortunately were relegated in the last game of the season proper. So, so for my future, then it was up in the air. Um, They said they still wanted me to go over obviously, but wasn't able, weren't able to to pay what I'd signed for. So um, it was an unfortunate situation. And I sort of said, I, you know, I, I might have to look around because I, I wanted to play in the Super League. I didn't want to go over yeah. there and play in the second division, yeah. So were they willing to um, say
0: look, you we're happy if you want to look elsewhere because we can't offer you the money that
1: we originally agreed on? Or Yeah, they were. They were really good. Uh, good and hat, hats off to them, you know, they were they were very good with that. Um, I th- to be honest, I think I did have a clause in to say that it had to be a super league club, but okay. But they I think they obviously still could have made it harder if they if they wanted to. So yeah. um, you know. But it ended up that I ended up uh, one year at London, and and I, I finished up on that year, which was um, which was enough for me. I think I was, I was thirty three by then, and and you yeah, know happy to sail off into the sunset. So it was, uh, yeah. but it was a good year. We 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 started off reasonably poorly, and and took about five six games to learn to play together, and and once we did, we came home fairly strongly and and made the semis, and were knocked out by I think the eventual premiers that year in St Helens. So it was. Um, that was uh, what I'd call a pretty successful year for uh, for a bunch of people all thrown together at the last minute
0: yeah for sure honestly absolutely for sure um, and what did you do immediately like the year or two you know the following immediate years after retiring
1: um, the first little bit I um, there was a bit of a uh, bit of to and fro as to whether I'd go back and play in London. Um, but it got to the point where I was offered a part-time job at the Knights as a strength and conditioning coach, okay. um, which which I was quite excited in the challenge of. But then I thought I might go back and play, being only a part-time job, and then I spoke to Michael Hay, and he went to the board and, and made it a full-time position. So when, when it became a full-time position and I, and I was offered a three-year contract for that, I thought there's a bit more future in doing that than just an old bloke running around for one more year in in London, you know. So, um, so I took up the opportunity to work as a strength and conditioning coach back at the club, which was a, a bit of a dream job for me. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was a good time. We we had some tough years. I think 2004 we went all right, 2005 I ended up being the only um, physical conditioner at the club, and we had a really tough year. We had a lot of injuries, and we ended up with a spoon. So that was a tough year. Uh, big learning here for me in terms of resilience and and learning to cop a bit of flack and pressure and yeah you because know, my time at the knights fortunately we'd always been reasonably successful so mm. to to be a part of when we got the first spoon was a bit was hard to swallow you know so mm. like i said learned a little bit about resilience and and then the next year we came back and made the semis in 2006 wow. uh, which was my, my last year at yeah. the club it was and uh and during that year, I was I was offered the opportunity to go back to London as a strength and conditioning coach. So yep, that was when they um, were the
0: Harlequins, now wasn't it?
1: That's right. Yeah, yep. they they'd take the Harlequins take, rugby union club had taken over. Um, the, our previous owner David Hughes was still involved, but and still heavily involved as a chairman, but um, but wasn't the owner anymore. And so we, we took on the Harlequins name, which was good. We played out the stoop at Twickenham there, which was right near the the big Twickenham ground. And, yep. It was it was great. There was a lot to learn off the Harlequins Union boys as well. We shared a facility, so that was good to to be involved with those lads as well. And uh, I had three years there and got to the point where I started to miss home a little bit. And, yeah. uh, you know, my kids, my kids were getting to the point where I wanted them to grow up as Aussies and not pommies. And yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and if I think if I'd have stayed there any longer, I've often said to people, if then we'd moved home, it would have been, I'd be moving to my home but taking them out of theirs because they yep. would have been yep. in England a lot longer than they were in Australia. So yeah. so we made the decision to, to cut ties and, and come back and, and, I, um, and went down a completely different path into the mining industry when I came back.
0: Yeah, nice. And from what I'm led to believe, you're still working in the mining industry to this day, which is great. What, what are you doing in the mines these days?
1: Yeah, I'm involved in the industry, but not mining anymore. I, okay. I work at the I work at a, at the port in Newcastle where we we export we export the coal. So, uh, so it's still within the industry, but uh, just but a, not just down a in the mines different now. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I, I was working as an underground miner for a while, and, and then did a couple of years in the control room, and uh, yeah, then now over into the the port side sort of things.
0: No, that's fair. Um, hmm. And during your time with the Knights and the and the Harlequins slash Broncos, etc. Um, what's your funniest memory and or your favorite memory? And also, who had the strangest
1: pre-game
0: routine or ritual that you can remember?
1: I think the strangest pregame ritual was one of my great mates, um, Adam McDougal. Um,
0: okay, mad dog. Was yep. what,
1: he was widely renowned for t- talking to different parts of his anatomy. Uh, before a game, but his okay. funniest one was, you know, you have the big beams that hold up a whole stadium, and yep. uh, before a game, Dugs would be running along and dead set palming these these big turrets that hold these uh, stadiums up, and and making making the stadium shake. He was uh, that strong, so uh, yeah, Dugs was certainly one for trying different things and having pre-game. Um, Routines that were a little bit less than the average, you know, whack your boots on a few stretches and running out there. So Diggs was definitely one of those ones. And probably one of the funniest moments too was when he was famously um, in Tamworth. We were in a trial game and he he was uh, the widely renowned one where he spoke to his legs. So that was (laughs) was quite funny to watch. Wow.
0: Did you have any pregame routine or ritual?
1: Uh, not really. Um I you know, a lot of blokes say that, you know, wear the same speedos and all that sort of stuff. I was sorta of, I was not really into that. I just, you know, sometimes I get ankle strapped, sometimes I wouldn't. You know, I I couldn't wear a mouth guard because um I couldn't talk with it in there. So I, I never wore a mouth guard for all the games I played footy. Fuck. Which I probably should <laughs> I probably shoulda. <laughs> uh, if you look at my teeth these days you probably say I, I definitely should have and the scars on my face but um yeah, you know, as as far as weird routines, I, I just used to like to get there and play. Um, yeah. You look at blokes like Matty Johns. He used to sometimes turn up as you'd uh, you know you'd be in the sheds. He'd walk in and he'd go, "Hey, Matty!" And he'd go, "No, you haven't got Matty. You've got Reggie, boy, today." And you know he'd, <laughs> he'd fly into a Reg, Reg Regan routine, and yep. everyone would be crying, laughing before we ran out. You know we people are supposed to be nervous we'd be we'd be all pissing ourselves off and running out to to start the game kick off
0: you know but i mean that's where it's at you got to have a nice relaxed attitude in my opinion in the sheds you know because otherwise if you are tense the game will reflect that sort of thing
1: oh absolutely and i think a lot of our success was because of that light-heartedness you know you had maddie doing that and joey was always making fun of things and and you could just see genuine love for playing footy and being around each other's mates, you know. So I definitely think you can be overawed for an occasion. And, and I think people like that and characters like that within a dressing shed just bring that lightheartedness and take the pressure away up until the very point when it's going to happen. And by then, it's you know, there's no point worrying about it. You're already in the battle, you know. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. And what are your thoughts on, you know, the night's chances for this upcoming 2021 season?
1: Oh look, I think they're good. Um, I think Adam O'Brien set a pretty good platform last year, and we, you know, we faltered towards the end. And you know, it's there's been a lot said as to why and how and all that sort of stuff. But you know, you bring in the likes of Tyson Frizzell and um, you know, all our younger boys. You know, Caelan Pong is a year more experienced, and you know, it's going to be frightening if he can get better. Um, You know, Connor Watson was injured most of the year last year, so hopefully you'll get the opportunity. You know, hopefully Mitchell Pearce has a great year, and you know, the Sofidi boys came out of the ground and, you know, particularly Daniel last year was possibly, you know, the, the front rower of the year, you know. So there's definitely the opportunity there for the boys to to really kick on and go well. And, you know, I think the involvement of Danny Badiris as well as the new uh, director of football, I think, is gives them a real positive and a real hard edge as well. So, uh, and, you know, if, if they want to learn anything about mental toughness, they don't have to look too much further than Danny. So, mm. um it's, uh, I think it's looking really good for them. And, you know, history shows that you don't have to have been in the top two last year to, to really perform the next year. So, you know, I'm looking forward to getting over to all the games and, and really supporting the boys this year.
0: Yeah, no, that's where it's at. And that'll be good because I'll definitely be there a few times, hopefully. I mean, I personally am not a Knights fan, but I run a rugby league podcast. I love league in general, so I'll definitely be there. Um, now, talking about uh, your post-playing days, you did actually pull the boots on for Legends of League. Uh, what was that like? Yeah. calling the boots on for Newcastle at the Legends of the League.
1: It was actually really funny. As much as I was probably more nervous for those games than I were for grand finals, you know. I guess to the point where most of those guys were only in their late thirties and some of them early thirties, and and here I am. Like last year, I was fifty. I'm fifty, you know. So um, it's just one of those things. I think. Cliffy was playing Cliffy Lyons, and maybe Rod Silver might have been the only two blacks older than me. So, (laughs) uh, so it was one of those things where, like, it was a bit of trepidation, but um, yeah, it was all played in good. No, oh, good spirits so, yeah, yeah, yeah there was you know there, there was, was the a few injuries of... <laughs> yeah there was a few injuries there. i was, I I was think...
0: down in the sheds with the media pass and seeing everyone just as soon as they'd come off they'd have a beer in hand and they'd also <laughs> and an be getting pack. rubbed down yeah and an ice pack
1: <laughs> yeah no it was great fun and you know i, I don't well unfortunately covid's pretty much mm. killed that off over the last little while but um they you know they're they do...
0: thinking on next year at least
1: Yeah, I hope so because they've done a lot, you know, the the organisers, you know, as much as they're they're trying to turn some sort of a profit, they do donate a lot of the money to charity. Uh, Mark, his foundation was the 2019 one for sure. Yeah, two or three charities and I know Mark's charity is one of them and and they've made, you know, quite a bit of money for charity. So um, it's a a good thing and it's lighthearted and I suppose the fans, they get to see... Yeah, they get to see the old blokes going around, and I get to watch. Blow I grew up others. watching as a
0: kid. Oh, the bulldogs! Holy shit, they take it so seriously. They they actually train and stuff for it, <laughs> which is cool and all. But damn, yeah, there's. But, I mean, that's the reason really they won the first two. But
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we were in the final in the first one, and and I think they beat us right on the bell. Like we I think we nearly we got to try disallowed to beat them to get into mm. the final last year. So. Uh, there's always been a bit of competition between us, and yeah, you, know, you know, blokes like Willie Mason. He, he's uh, he's the great showman. He always puts it on, but oh, he's so funny! Gr- he plays it in great spirit, and he's a real character. And you know, he's just tremendous for it. And you know, all those bulldogs lads—they're all good fellas. And you know, it's, he's it's, also a it's, former it's, knight, technically as well. <laughs> yeah, technically, I grew up in Toronto, and but did spend a couple of years playing in the red and blue. So. Uh, Yeah, we'll uh, we'll claim him for one for sure. (laughs) You know, but uh, but yeah, all those lads are good lads, and you know, even back in the days when we were playing against each other, it was you know they were always tough battles, but they Mm. were just always good blokes. So we're happy to have a beer with you afterwards. You know, which I I think that's missing from the NRL
0: at the moment a little bit. Like, I I know that there's a lot of camaraderie around the teams, and some players, you know, comment on other players from other teams on Instagram stuff, which is great. But you won't really, I mean, minus COVID last year, you won't really see them actually having a beer or, you know, hanging out really unless they're part of the team, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's just the opportunities these days aren't there for them. You know, the the professionalism of the game these days is, is. is sky high and you know they just they don't get the opportunity which they is don't get a shame to for them but yeah and if they do then you know they've got they're worried about scrutiny which you know obviously they you shouldn't be doing the wrong thing if that's the case. But um you know people do make mistakes and unfortunately a, in my opinion there's a the fine
0: line with what's the wrong thing. Like the news media will put out some like some player whoever Having a, having beers and having a good time, not not necessarily getting in trouble with the law or anything while having beers, but they'll just take a photo of them having
1: beers and they'll make that yeah. out as
0: if it's the worst thing on earth on on the media. It's like no, it's not.
1: Yeah, look, I think there was occasions where I, I forget what team it was, but you know there was a team playing in Sydney. They were staying overnight and they weren't drinking or anything, but they were playing poker machines at mm. eleven o'clock at night before yeah. the game. And who cares? So yeah, the they're the day, they're out
0: enjoying themselves.
1: Yeah. It, but you know it's a world we live in, and mm. the game, the game can't afford any slip-ups anymore. It's you know it's that's all about the public perception, and and they just have to do it right these days. And and not that it wasn't before, you know, everyone did the right thing, but we you know probably just didn't have the um, education that, that, that that's out there th- these days. And you know I, I, one thing that I did enjoy about the Super League when I was over there, and I'm not sure whether it still continues, because so, I left there in 2009, but. Um, the visiting team would always have a meal with the host team after oh, wow. the game. So, wow, so they that's would always. A good come. Yeah, no, it was great, you know, and particularly for expats, you know, like you'd you, you'd meet up, you'd obviously play against whoever it was or coach against them, and and then you get to catch up and have a chat over a meal after the game. And you know, it was obviously a long bus ride back from London to up north or or back down to France, wherever they were going, you know, so it was. Um, it was, uh, it was a great opportunity to catch up, and, and I think it's something that the game misses. Mm. It would be nice if they could do something like that, but yeah. in the, like I say, in this age of professionalism, you know, they're, they're off doing recovery and doing, getting things sorted for the, for the next sort of um, game slash training session or whatever, and, and you know, that, the victim of that is probably a bit of the character of the game, which yeah. is you can understand why it happens, but it's just a shame.
0: There are a few characters, though, speaking of in the game at the moment, such as, you know, Brandon Smith, Cameron Munster, uh, Ryan Pappenhausen, even uh, Clint Gutherson, Kalen Ponga, Connor Watson, all them, which is really great because they're bringing back that, as you were saying, the lack of, you know, having a character. Who do you think was the, out of all of and many of them, the best character during your time in,
1: in the NRL? Oh, the best character? God, there was quite a few of them. There's some scary characters and there were some fun characters. It was uh, it was a real mixing pot. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm pretty biased because I got to see Joey all the time. But but, um, but probably in terms of characters, Matthew, you know, like he's uh, he's so quick witted and and you know he was happy to take the piss out of you, mm-hmm. but then he'd stick up for you. You know, he was just uh, he's just a genuine mate, but a hilarious guy that that's just great to spend time around with. And 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 like I said, you know, like I. Just remembering occasions. We were warming up against the Roosters one night, and and, um, Maddie came running in, and he had extra tight shorts on, no shirt on, (laughs) singing singing Macho Man, you know. And and we're all looking at him, saying, What on earth is this guy doing? And as we're running out on the game, the roosters were playing roosters, man, with the, to the same beat as macho man. So the, we're, we're, all I can envisage, envisage is Maddie running around with tight shorts on, singing macho man, and they're singing so singing roosters, man. And we're so I got tears in my eyes as we kicked the ball off to start the game. You know, I just couldn't couldn't stop laughing. And oh, So, but but you know that's Maddie would do stuff like that all the time, and it was hilarious. And, you know the boys were always up for a prank which i'm sure they are these days and yeah. um it just makes it uh makes it bearable because it is such a high intensity and, yeah yeah, yeah and, and the environment and you literally your livelihood is riding on the result of a weekend you know so you, you can be one week you can be the king of the town next week with an injury or a bad game your career could be over so yeah um it's such an intense um livelihood and a roller coaster that these players and coaches live under that um, anyone that can sustain that for, for such a long time. You know, you look at the Brian Smiths and, and your yeah, Wayne Bennett's and that to, to be able to do, and Craig Bellamy's to be able to do that for so long and mm. live on that nice edge. Um, hats off. But I, I just think it's amazing mental toughness that those guys have.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, and then speaking of, as you said, there was some scary characters and there were some funny characters. Who did you always hate? Or at least dislike, not necessarily players individual, but teams going up against, knowing that you were, you know, going to get thrashed about no matter how good you played.
1: Yeah, I, there was a couple, you know, in the early days. You know, you, it was your South Sydneys and, and your Canterbury's, and and then as it got a bit longer, it was you know Manly and and then Brisbane, and you know there was always that. The I suppose as we got a little bit more successful too. There was the rivalries, and that was always Newcastle Manly was always mm-hmm. a bash up, and and always like that. But um, you know, obviously, like I say, the that Brisbane team in the late nineties, two thousands, mate, they were they were something else. You know, but you had Big Gordon and all the rest of the boys, and and but same. Whenever you stayed up in Brisbane, they'd be the first one to shout your beer after the game after yeah. they bashed the bejesus out of you. <know>? Or, <laughs> uh, but you know, we like to think that we gave as much as we got. You know, yep. well, maybe. I, I might have, I might have got a little bit more than I gave. But at the end of the day, I uh, I just loved the competition of it and being, yeah, I was quite proud to be on the same field and you know in a back row against Gordon Towers you mm. know, And he'll be remembered as one of the one of the fire brands and and one of the most intimidating forwards of any era, you know. So, yep. And to uh, to be on the same arena or in the same arena as those guys, it was um, it was a real honour. And and to have blokes like Chief and. And, you know, Ben Kennedy in, in, on my side and Steve Simpson, you know, like you know, it's, uh, it's a pretty humbling experience.
0: Yeah, nah, fair enough. Honestly, that's awesome. And I just randomly remembered an actual fun little fact to any Newcastle Knights fans, which I think really ties into the 1997 year that really galvanized you guys. A random fun fact about the Knights in 97 is the first team that you ever beat up in Queensland was actually the Crushers in 1997 you'd beaten them down in new south wales the broncos the cowboys the Crushers, but you hadn't beaten a team in queensland until 1997 which i think is a is a testament to that what was going to happen in the 97 season do you think that that and along with a few other things really you know stood out to like right this is our year this can be our year
1: yeah i think it was and there was another game which you would think it would be the opposite effect. But um, another one in Queensland, we played the Gold Coast up there mm-hmm. and we actually got beat. And oh, uh, wow. at, the, at the time, the Gold Coast were, weren't renowned for being the, the, the strongest team in the comp. Ah, so God, no. we, came, uh, we came back to quite a bit of flack. And it, it was right around about the time when the BHP shut. Mm. So for us, it, were, it was a real period of soul-searching. And, you know, we really wanted to win that week to just give the town a bit of a boost and we'd failed, you know. So um, from that failure came a lot of soul-searching and a, and a lot of honesty from all the boys in the playing group. And, and I think that sort of set in motion the, the um, probably put the steel into the boys that we'd, uh, that we, we'd failed in an, in an effort to, to do something positive for the town. So we felt like we owed them something. And uh, and a, and it snowballed from there. You know, we we played a couple of games, and I, I think Joey even promised to get off the drink. You know, up until we got into the finals and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, there was a, a lot of commitment there from mm. the boys and and um, from the town as well. The town gave us that commitment back. So, if anything, it, it was like it magnified our um our the steel that we had in us or the. the the intention to go forward and get better, you know? So it was, um, there was a real uh, perfect storm of, um, of positiveness from possible negatives.
0: Yeah, for sure. Which there definitely was that positive coming from that loss. Um, And going into some fun topics again, uh, what is your current beer of choice if you drink?
1: My current beer of choice? Well, I went down the craft beer sort of sideline for a little while, but I've gone back to drinking two is new because I think when I was a kid or young bloke, I used to go. I didn't have any pressure when I went to the bottle shop. I just went and bought two is new. So yeah. now, now I go back there and drink two is new. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> Take all the thinking out of it. Yep.
0: Yep. And what is your favourite way to have a steak?
1: My favourite way to have a steak is on the barbecue, um, medium well. Oh, nice.
0: If you could have a superpower, <laughs> what would it be and why?
1: I could have a superpower, it would be I don't know what would it would be. Don't know. No, that's fair. I'd have to think about that one. No, that's fair. I, uh, I, I'm not a real fan of superhero movies. <laughs> no,
0: that, that's totally fine.
1: And, um,
0: okay, what um, show or movie series sort of thing did you binge on Netflix last year during the when there was that big lockdown? It could
1: have been uh, the TV did, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, I binged a bit of The Vikings. Okay, you know, yeah, Vikings. Cool. Is a good like show. Vikings. That, that was a good show uh there's probably been a few over the
0: years but um yeah that was probably the main one no that's fair um and we've actually got a question from one of our uh you could say colleagues i actually run a podcast starting up it's newcastle nights specific called the benchwarmers and they ask if you could bring back one celebrity or one um you know historical figure or one musical artist from back from the dead who would it be and why
1: oh wow uh well, I'd like to bring back John Candy because I think the world can oh,
0: do with a little bit more funny stuff. 100%. I love John Candy. I love all of all his serious movies. stuff
1: going
0: on. Yep. I think he's him or Chris Farley would be <laughs> the ones unbooked. that we need. Everyone
1: needs a
0: bit of Uncle Buck, though. Right? Oh, 100%. Everyone needs a bit of Uncle Buck. Or oh, my favorite film is that that he's in is Who's Harry Crumb? Is another great <laughs> oh, <yeah>. film.
1: <laughs>
0: That's a cracker. Oh, it's such a good one. Um, And on all that note, I've got one last topic, and that is. What advice would you give to any kids who, you know, are wanting to be a big rugby league star one day?
1: um oh it's funny i've been asked that question a lot and, and i alluded to it earlier in the segment it was uh is be ready when that opportunity comes you never know when you're going to get an opportunity um so you've got to train prepare yourself mentally prepare yourself as though that opportunity is going to come tomorrow because the one thing you don't want to do is get that opportunity and think holy shit i'm not ready you know? so <laughs> yeah the, the, you know you want to be you want to be hungry and and if you're hungry, you'll be prepared. And when that opportunity comes up, you'll be fit, you'll be strong because you've been ripping in. You, you, you've got that mindset. So,
0: because you are ready.
1: Because you're ready. And that, that opportunity is going to come. You just don't know when. So um, it, that would be the biggest bit of advice I would have. For, you know, People could talk about, oh, watch this, watch that. At the end of the day, it's, your, it's what it is between your ears that pushes you, that motivates you, if you really want to become a footballer, that's what you have to do. You have to be ready when that chance comes because, like I said, most people do get some sort of opportunity within their life and it's it's being able to take that when it comes.